Anyway, we, we do appreciate you guys being here, and to those that, that are at home watching this morning, uh, we appreciate that you, you tuned in. I, I realize it's nasty weather. We probably shouldn't be here either, but uh, but we are, so we're going to make the best of it. For years, at least until my kids, uh, I think were in college or maybe uh, had, had uh, gotten married themselves, we would travel back at Thanksgiving time. We'd travel back to Illinois to spend Thanksgiving with my parents uh, and my siblings that lived there, and... And I'm sure that that age-old question that came up uh, at least a couple times, at least our, our power is blinking on and off, so <laughs> I may have to yell loud when the power goes all the way off. But, but, but the question would come up occasionally, at least when they were smaller, was that, that age-old question, are we there yet? Uh, the, the truth is, fairly soon, though, after our, our trip started, that question didn't come up because we played a couple games that, kind of kept him somewhat entertained or at least somewhat looking forward to uh, a, a point and knowing that we hadn't arrived yet. So so there were two games that we would do. One of them actually was about five hours into the trip, So and it really did work. But they kind of uh, didn't ask that question until this happened. We, we, we would, as we came into St. Louis, like we'd play the game to see who could see the St. Louis the, uh, arcs the first. So as we came in on I-70, Everyone would be awake, they'd be scanning the horizon, looking for the arch, and whoever got the glimpse of it first would holler out, and they they won. They didn't win anything, but they won. They got the right to say, I saw the arch first. Now, I think I remember when Crystal uh, came to live with us, her first time going back to Illinois, we introduced her to this game. We said, hey, you're going to be looking for the arch, and, and she hollered about 15 miles from St. Louis. She hollered, I see the arch, and uh, we just all laughed because it's only about a mile or so before you can see it. I think she saw a McDonald's and thought, I didn't know the arch was yellow, but uh, so she had, uh, didn't win. The second game that we would play, though, was one that that we would, before we left, we would all state a time that we thought we would pull into Grandma's driveway. So whatever time we left, we usually would leave on a Wednesday afternoon, maybe Rita get off a little bit early from work and so we might be arriving at 8 or 9 o'clock. And so we'd, we'd get in the car, we'd write it down, at least remember, say what time we were going to arrive to the minute. Now, i got to be honest, I almost always won that game for a couple reasons. Number, uh, three reasons, actually. One reason was I, uh, I had a pretty good idea exactly how long it would take to get there, and so, so I guessed fairly accurately. The kids just threw out numbers. Uh, secondly, if, if we were uh, a little behind schedule, I would speed up. Uh, so that that would be a little closer. If we were uh, ahead of schedule, I would slow down, uh, particularly those last few miles. So no one ever accused me of being uh, uh, competitive at all. Do they? But uh, but but we'd pull in, and, and oftentimes I'd win that to decide. The reality is, there's kind of a couple emotions that we would go through. There, there was, even though they didn't state it, oftentimes there was always that question: Are we there yet? And the second second thing that gave them. Actually, some great satisfaction was when you finally got there, especially when our kids were little. When we arrived at Grandma's, they would bust out of the car and run into my, my mom's house, not to see Mom. Uh, they might say hi as they busted past her, but my mom had the, an un, uh, unbelievable uh, array of toys. Now, we never had toys when I was kids. I mean, I just had a broken wagon or something. But but uh, as the grandkids started coming, she started buying all the great toys. And my kids would run into her house so that they could play. So they were excited to arrive there. As we move into uh, a little bit further into Philippians in chapter 3 here today, we come to a place where, where Paul seems to be asking 
that that question, that somewhat natural question, even even a, a natural question for a spiritual journey that we've been talking about. He seems to be asking, are we there yet? Uh, we've been talking about so far in Philippians, his relationship with the church there, uh, how special that was. We, we talked about his struggle uh, to live with Christ, live for Christ, and even question if he was doing that right. We've talked about his encouragement that we should live lives worthy of him. We've talked about uh, the idea of, of walking uh, through the challenge of being uh, worthy of him. We've talked about figuring out who number one was and defining Jesus as our model. And last week, we looked at the idea of spiritual works that gave him value uh, before and realizing that those actually held him prisoner, that that all of that he looks at now as lost compared to knowing Jesus. So we come to the place here in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul asks the question, are we there yet? He's placed us on this journey to, to, to see the example of who Jesus is. And he seems to be asking, are we there? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're just going to look at a, a couple sets of verses this morning. 12 through 14, then we'll, we'll finish up by looking at a couple other verses at the end of the chapter. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul says this, Not that I have already attained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Are, are we there yet? Don't you sense that? Don't you get that, that, that feeling that Paul is asking that question? Are we there yet? And I think his answer is, fairly unequivocally, no. Now, now we might be a little surprised that that's Paul's answer. Because surely if anyone had arrived, if anyone had it figured out, if anyone had, had got to the place where they needed to be spiritually, surely it was Paul. Certainly the church of Philippi would have looked at Paul and thought that. Man, this guy, this guy uh, is an amazing preacher of the gospel. He he founded the church. He was the father of that church. And not only that, but he founded churches, churches all over the world. In fact, he was in prison now because of the fact that he was a preacher to the world. If anyone had arrived, if anyone had got there, wasn't it Paul? Let me interject here just in case there's any confusion. I don't think there is. If, if there were, you probably figured it out very quickly within just a few weeks or or a few months, but I just want to clear clear the air here. Just so you know, I have not arrived. Uh, I have not figured it all out. But but let me remind you uh, that, that that I still have questions. Uh, in, in fact, sometimes the the question I ask is, God, why in the world me? God, why are you why are you using me? Why why are you putting me up here? So just so you know, I'm, I'm with Paul there. And, and when the question comes up, have you arrived? The answer is no. I, I, let me just be honest with you. I think the reason I, I struggled for a long time coming up on stage to preach, when I, when I came here the very first time two and a half years ago and filled in, I, I stood down on the, on the floor and preached and it just seemed comfortable, seemed natural. And, and I think one of the reasons I, I struggled, and today would be perfect day since there are not many of you, but, but, the, one of the reasons I struggled to come up here, even though my wife was saying, hey, you need to get up on the stage, and then we got Facebook, and I had to come up here, 
was, I don't know, something about being down there, I'm, I'm on the same level. I, there's something about being, I don't want people to think that, that, that I'm trying to elevate myself. In fact, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, where it says this. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. In, in other words, we, we're jars of clay. We're, we're fragile. We're, we don't have a whole lot of value in who we are, but we hold a treasure. He goes on to say, uh, uh, in jars of clay, to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So Paul asks that question, are we there yet? And he says no. And, and so this morning, let me look at two simple things that he, that he points out in these passages that we're going to look at. Here's the first one. He says, we press on. We press on because. Paul says, I press on because I'm not there. Now, notice what he, notice what he said. Notice how he, he walks back from this idea in case they question it. He walks back from this idea that maybe he had arrived. Notice what he says there in verse 12. Not that I have already attained all of this. He's referring back to what he talked, talked about in the earlier verses. We talked about last, last week that he wanted to know Christ and to gain him and, and to, to fellowship in his righteousness and all of that. He, he points out not that I've, I've already attained this or have already been made perfect. And then verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do is I press on. See, Paul realized that that he hadn't arrived yet. He hadn't got there. I'm not there. So, so why? Why did he think it important to point this out? Why, why do you think Paul uh, thought it was important to talk about pressing on to a goal and pointing out that, that even though I, I'm seeking this, I'm not there yet. I haven't figured it out. I think one of the reasons is Paul doesn't want us to get lazy. It's, it's important so we don't get lazy, so we don't aim at the wrong thing. Brian Lortz tells the story of going hiking in Colorado. Had a friend of his that, that encouraged him to, to go with him on a trip to, to climb a mountain. Now, it was going to be a small mountain. It wasn't, wasn't going to require any extra gear. It was mainly just a hike, but it was going to be hiking up one of the small mountains in Colorado. So so they drove through the night, and they they, they got to their cabin, spent the night there. Early the next morning, they got up. Lord said, said he wasn't really excited because he wasn't an outdoorsman. He didn't necessarily like being out that much, but he wanted to spend some time with his friends. So they got up early before the sun came out, headed out to a trailhead, and they just as they got out of the car, the sun was was just starting to come up. You could start to see the, the peaks in the in the distance. You could, you could see the beauty of the morning starting to come up. And as they got out and got their stuff together, got their backpacks and their water, their supplies, he said his friend pointed up to a rock outcropping that was, was way up there. And, and he said, that's where we're headed. And and so Lawrence followed him on the trail and said, we, we walked for, I don't know, it must have been about two hours. And, and I looked up and I saw that rock cropping and it was... It was just just right there. It wasn't very far away. And he's thinking, man, this didn't take very long. This is cool. Man, two hours of walking, two and a half hours of walking, and we're there. This is not so bad. And he said, says so he got, got got up there, and he, he rounded the bend, and he saw these rocks. And as he did, he got there, and he, he kind of did his best rocky interpret uh, or, or impression. He put his hands up, started shouting, I'm here, I'm here. And his friend, who had continued to walk, stopped and turned around and looked at him and said, dude, what? What are you doing? And Lord said, I, I, I said, we're here. I made it. I didn't think I could climb a mountain. I, I made it to the top. And his friend said, said, Brian, 
and as he pointed off to the distance, he said, that's where we're going. That's the mountain. We just had to get up here so we could see the mountain. See, I'm, I'm wondering if we're not somewhat like, somewhat like Lawrence, that Lawrence, that sometimes we aim at the wrong mark. See, this idea of pressing on that, he, that Paul talks about here in Greek has the idea of aiming at a mark, having something that's fixed in a distance and we're aiming at that, either literally aiming like an arrow or, or that's where we're looking and that's what we're walking towards, what we're focusing on as we continue to go. Having something that we keep our eyes on as we're moving towards. I think sometimes in the church we find ourselves aiming at the wrong thing. And it's easy to, it's easy to get lazy because if we think we've arrived, if we think we've got to the place that we've been aiming at, then we sit back and like, well, I'm there, I've arrived. And Paul wanted them to understand that the, the goal, the mark is way out there. We've got to keep going towards that. See, sometimes in the church, we think we've arrived when we come to know Jesus. We think salvation is the goal that we're after. And certainly that's great. We should, we should long for salvation for ourselves and for others. But, but the goal is not being baptized. The goal is not just knowing Christ. The goal is not uh, being involved in a church. That's just the, the point where we can see our goal. Once we get there, we can see what our real goal is. See, Paul saying, Jesus isn't my destination. My destination is being like Jesus. My destination is being like Jesus. So, so I think Paul says, I press on so we don't get lazy. We, we don't just say, well, I'm here. I, I'm a believer. I come to church. I go to Sunday school. Whew, I, I'm there. No, we press on to something bigger and broader than that. And I think, I, I think he points out this so we don't get arrogant. So we don't get to a place where we look at our accomplishments and we think we've arrived. Paul, Paul says, I, I, I press on. And, and he points out a couple of things. He says, first of all, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. See, Paul wants us to press on because the past is the past. Forgetting what is behind. I think Paul might have meant this in two ways, and I, I think both ways are accurate. I think I think probably he wanted us to take it in both both ways. Paul could say, "I I keep on aiming at the mark so that I forget about my past," and he might be saying, "I forget about my past victories." If we take this in context of what we looked at last week in verse seven, where he says, "But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss," it makes sense. If Paul says, "I forget my past," I forget all of my my past. Victory. See, it's easy for us. It's easy for us to stop and look at what we've done in the past and feel really good about that. And well, golly, I used to do that. And and I think Paul said, "Don't don't look at your past victories." In, in the church, boy, we could really do that a lot. We could stop and say, "Yeah, but I used to lead that ministry. Isn't that pretty cool?" Or we might look in the back and say, "Well, I, I bought food and I, I I I bought some food for a family that was in need and gave it to them, and I didn't tell anyone about it." except my Sunday school class and my small group. And I mentioned it quickly at church one time, but, but it didn't tell anyone else. Or we might look back and say, I went on a mission trip and I gave up a whole week of vacation to, to go to another country to tell people about Jesus. Or, or I was in leadership, or I taught a Sunday school class, or I helped with youth group, or I was in worship band, or I prepared meals for needy people. The Greek here 
has the overtones of an athletic comp competition. They would have understood that Paul was talking about uh, uh, pressing on was the idea of running a race. And, and Paul says, what I do is I don't look back. When you run a race, you don't look back to see where you come. You, you don't look back and say, man, I, I, I've got a 100-yard race and I've already got 50 yards behind me. That's been pretty good. We don't look back to see who we're ahead of. Instead, we look forward and press on. We don't, we don't look at our past victories. Let the past be the past. We press on. And, and I think it's only, only natural that Paul would mean it this way as well, that I, I press on. The past is the past. And he's talking about our past failures. See, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of grace, is that we take our past failures and we lay them at the foot of the cross. Paul points this out as you lay aside the pressure, pressure of trying to do it all yourself, the struggle of keeping the rules, the, the trying to be holy and failing at that. He takes our sin, our shortcomings, our embarrassments, our mistakes, our heartaches, our insecurities, our self-consciousness, our self-condemnation, and he takes it all. And so I think Paul says, one thing I do is I press on and I I, I let the past be the past. I let the past be the past. And, and we press on because the goal is ahead. You know what he says there? For one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul, Paul asked the question, are we there yet? I think we see the answer that he, that he gives is no. We're, we're not there yet. We've got to keep aiming at the mark. But he goes on and points out another thought. If you have your Bibles there in Philippians, let's go to the last couple verses of the, the chapter, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And, and Paul points out another thought there. He says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we may be like his glorious body. Paul Ask the question, are we there yet? Well, the answer is no, but it is also we will be. See, Paul is offering encouragement to us while we wait. See, we have to wait, but, but the target's before us. The mark is to be like Jesus. The ultimate realization is the understanding that someday we'll be fully known and we will know fully. See, there's going to be a point where we will be there. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The day is coming when we will arrive. But now we wait. But he gives us two, three, two assurances there. Two assurances that embolden us, that empower us, that encourage us that inform us, that enlighten, enlighten us. And this is what the verse 20 says, but our citizenship, our citizenship. We pointed out a couple weeks ago that the Christians living in Philippi, for them, this idea of their citizenship being in heaven would have been a powerful point. They would have understood that, that, that Paul was talking about something that was, was life-changing, that was life-altering for them. The, the point in, uh, to this point in their lives, their assurance came from their citizenship in Rome. It gave them special rights, special privileges, 
and a special sense of belonging. But now Paul's saying, when we understand that our citizenship is in heaven, everything is different. It's a different kingdom. Now you have special rights, special privileges, and a special sense of belonging, not just for the future, but for now. When we understand that we haven't arrived yet, we keep pressing on to the mark. We keep pressing on to know Jesus. In his book, Six Hours, One Friday, Max Lucado uh, tells a story about a friend. His friend's name was Joy. Joy taught a Sunday school class in her church. And in that class uh, of, of nine and ten-year-olds, she had a little, little girl named Barbara. The church was in kind of an underprivileged area, a very rough area, and, and, and this little girl Barbara came to our Sunday school class, and, and for weeks Barbara would sit in her class and never say a word. The only, only word she would say is hi. When Barbara came in and, and uh, Joy came in and said hi to her, she would answer in reply, hi, but, but that's all that she ever said. When she'd ask questions, Joy or Barbara would never answer. When, when she asked for kids to respond, she would never respond. Other kids would sing, but she sat quietly. Other kids would giggle and laugh, but she sat almost stone silent until one Sunday when Joy taught about heaven. She said as she began to teach the class, she talked about what heaven was going to be like, that, that it was going to be a place that was beautiful. And when we got to heaven, we'd be able to see the face of God. And when we got to heaven, we'd be able to see Jesus eye to eye. When Jesus would wrap his arms around us. And she began to talk about how, about how beautiful heaven was going to be and, and how heaven was going to be different than, than what it was like here on earth. Because, because when you get to heaven, there was going to be no pain. There was going to be no suffering. There was going to be no struggle at all. She said heaven is going to be a beautiful wonderful place. There was no death, no sorrow. Everything was secure and hopeful. As she was continuing her lesson, she glanced over and she saw Barbara raise her hand and, and it shocked her for a second because all these months of teaching, she had never responded in class, never said a word. And so finally she said to, him, to Barbara, do you have a question? And, and, and she said, so Miss Joy, you've been talking about heaven. She said, yeah, You've been talking about being a place where there's no sorrow, no tears, no sadness, no, no pain, no struggles. Miss Joy said, yes. She said, Miss Joy, is heaven a place for girls like me? Is heaven a place for girls like me? See, Paul, Paul points out, Paul points out that they, that, that their citizenship no longer is in Rome. Their citizenship isn't in something earthly. Their citizenship was in heaven. And then he simply says it gives us assurance to know that he's in control. Verse 21 says, Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. See, we press on and we wait because he's in control. Ron Bill tells the story of an aged missionary couple They'd come home from serving for years and years, their, their whole lifetime in Africa. It was in the late 30s, and they, they arrived by, by steamer from, from Europe and, and pulled into a harbor in New York City. And, and, and they kind of had in their mind that maybe there would be some people there to greet them, that maybe, maybe the right thing was that, that there would be people be there to, to praise them and to pat them on the back. There'd be some people there to, to encourage them and let them know how much they appreciated their lifetime of service, lifetime of sacrifice, but 
But when they got there, there was no one there to cheer them on. In fact, on their ship was a famous actress that had been traveling in Europe, and now she was returning home. And when she got off the ship, everything they thought they would have was there for her. There, there were crowds there cheering her name and yelling her name. There was a band that was playing music, and, and they all marched off down Main Street together as they held a little parade for this lady. And as they marched off, the missionary couple stood there on the dock, the old missionary man began to complain. He looked at his wife and said, that's just not right. That's just not fair. We've served God for years, for decades, and, and no one's here to greet us. No one's here to cheer for us. As they walked through the street to, to the hotel they were going to stay at, he was still kind of muttering to himself when they made their way up to the small room that they had rented for the night. He, he continued to complain, it's just not right. We've served so long. And, and finally his wife Looked at him and said, I've had enough. I'm going for a walk. While I'm gone, why don't you do this? Why don't you talk to God and see if he'll change your attitude? So she walked out of the door. About an hour later, she returned and she said, well, did, did you do what I asked you to do? He said, yeah, I prayed. Well, did God tell you things? He said, yeah, I did. He said, don't, don't fret, child. Don't fret. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. Paul, Paul says one thing we do is we press on. We've not arrived yet, so we have to keep working. We have to keep pressing. We have to keep aiming at the mark to be like Jesus. Would you bow with me? Father, we, we pray that you'll give us the strength to press on, to follow you, to be encouraged in you, to see Jesus and see his love and his faith and his compassion, his humility, and his service, and desire to be like that. Father, help us never rest, never get lazy, never get arrogant, and sit back and say, well, I'm there. Father, help us always see that you're in front of us. The sanctification in your name is always a mark that we're aiming at. Father, help us this morning to be encouraged to press on until that day where you can say to us, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Thank you.